Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush checking in here with you after a one-in-one week, Phil. I think we kind of went into last week uh, thinking that was realistic. You know, I think we kind of that's where we left it after last week's show, is that hopeful for 2-0 and and really making a move, but realizing how difficult that is. And I, I think, by and large, most Marquette fans were very happy and very uh, encouraged by the one-in-one week they saw last week. Yeah, I mean, not that uh, close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and global thermonuclear war, but, you know, we were on the cusp of 2-0, and uh, um, Right it, there. Yeah, yeah. It, it it feels pretty good. I mean, you know, there are no moral, you know, moral victories in loss, but, like, you know, I, I, I think we've once again shown that this team is not a fluke. Or, you know, that's kind of the takeaway I took from this week was, hey, this is two back-to-back legitimate opponents, including one on the road, and we held our own. Yeah, I I think Marquette has shown that they intend to be in the Big East championship picture all the way to the end. Will they be able to catch Xavier? Well, time will tell, but they are going to be in it, and I think... We'll all be looking forward to that rematch when X uh, comes to Pfizer form a little later this season. We've got another rematch to talk about coming up, too, with Providence this week. We're going to talk about the week to come. But first, I just want to focus on that uh, that one-in-one week Marquette had, starting with that UConn game. And that was uh, – you know, now that UConn is fading a little bit, you know, it still hasn't soured that win for me, Phil, because Marquette looked great against a good opponent. And uh, the weird thing about that game for me was the I, as the game went along, I kind of wanted the All-American Sonogo back in the game. Yes. I wanted the the Klingon character back on the bench. I mean, that guy was a menace. Oh, my God, uh, yes. I, and, I, he, like, I, I didn't know how they were going to solve for him, but eventually they got just enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, that was that was the thing is, is was remarkable to me was I, I think everyone in the arena – and most of the people on Twitter knew Klingon was the better option in in that game, and and the only one who didn't seem to be Dan Hurley. Um, that was, I mean, it forced Marquette to take some, you know, they take some crazy shots anyway from weird angles and all of that stuff. But the, you know, he certainly was a menace on the defensive end. And if if Marquette got into any kind of switch, God help you, it was it was, uh, you know. There were several times that, you know, David Joplin or, or I think even poor Sean Jones ended up switched on at one time. And it's like, all right, good night, Gracie, because this is uh, uh, this is going to result in the bucket. But but thank God they were able to get the win in the end. I, I, I'll say this. I'll say this in Hurley's defense, like just flip it around and just imagine. Granted, it's not a perfect comparison, but just bear with me here. Hypothetically, if Marquette was in a game where Ben Gold was just crushing it and just absolutely making every play on both ends of the floor. Would you bench Oso? Ugh. Uh, I, I, I I don't know that I would, but I'm I'm fairly confident Shaka would. <laughs> it's just because that's, that's what he's looking at. He, you know, he's thing is, but towards the end of the game, like the closing minutes, Klingon was in there, but that's I true. feel like we're breaking down UConn more than Marquette at this point. But, um, yo, I, I, it was just another spectacular team effort from the Golden Eagles because it was a great game for Oso. He had 19 points. Uh, and they, eventually they just got just enough stops against Sonogo and Klingon. And, you know, going into the game, Phil, you felt confident about Marquette's guards against uh, Connecticut's guards. And that kind of turned out to be just about that way because uh, while Carabin was a bit of a pest um, in that game, uh, Marquette's guards pretty much outplayed um Connecticut's guards, I thought. Yeah, I, I I think the perimeter defense and you know Marquette's perimeter offense were the equal, if not greater, than 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 UConn's uh, 
um, version, right? I mean, Hawkins had eight points and was 0 for 4 from inside the arc, which, I, I mean, that's kind of a crazy number if you think about it. Um, yeah, Caravan went off a little bit, but, but you know, again, he's a little bit more of an inside presence, and some of that was on putbacks and, and drop-offs from Klingon and stuff like that. So um, I, th- I think the Marquette's perimeter definitely won them that game. Um, and, you know, Oso kind of held his own and, and, you know, I think was a little bit outclassed on the defensive end, but, you know, got some, got some good buckets and, and quite frankly, the best, you know, might be a highlight of the entire season that, uh, uh, that alley-oop from Cam Jones over Klingon. That was, uh, that was pretty spectacular. Yeah. That kind of maybe maybe stopped the Klingon momentum uh, a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe I think that's the, that was a point where th- I think we a lot of us felt like this that the win was going to happen. Uh, one thing I d- got to give, uh, you know, my friends here at work in Dallas, we call it giving them your flowers when somebody makes a good call. We want to give them props. I got to give you your flowers here, Phil, because your prediction in the game was something to the effect of Marquette goes to the mid range a little bit, and while it wasn't like mid range, mid range like shot after shot. Paint touches did point out Marquette hit more mid-range shots in that game than they did in like their previous ten combined. Uh, a lot of some of those were uh, were Sean Jones had a couple pull-ups. I get I guess uh, some of the little floaters Oso hit would be considered mid-range as far as just where he was hitting them from. But uh, that was something you kind of predicted going into it that might make a difference in the game and in a close game like that. Th- those shots did fall. Yeah, and I I think it was another example of of Marquette hitting, uh, I'll say challenging shots, right? Like, and, and I, I think we, we became obsessed with the, the threes and dunks in that, um, you know, Marquette is, is really just taking open threes and, and no footers is, is kind of their mantra, but that doesn't mean they're not capable of hitting other shots and the team, I mean, Look at some of the stuff that that Cam Jones does around the bucket, and even Tyler Kolick, which you know we'll talk about him in more in in more focus in the next game review. But um, you know the the guards get off some some crazy shots around the rim, so moving it out about five six feet. Again, it may not be the most efficient shot, but when you're facing a seven foot two guy who there were a couple of blocks that were like I think I think Tyler went for a jump shot from like seven feet out and Klingon rejected it almost before it left its hand and it was just it was just ridiculous so um yeah i i think they kind of had to and and again the team kind of adjusted and played different than they're used to they they made um you know other teams strengths not as strong or or made their own weaknesses less weak um which is i think a sign of a of a good team and a a maturing team that can can be successful down the street down the straight, down the stretch. What what did you think was the biggest, most important thing about the UConn game? Well, uh, first of all, how about Tyler Kolek's block late in that game? Oh boy! Uh, I mean, that was just a like just a, out of a nowhere, just a just effort plays like that. It was just a it was really just a matter of just really. I know never quitting is kind of a cliche in sports, in but man, Marquette really took it to UConn all game and got little contributions from a lot of guys. I mean, there were a couple moments that the freshmen had their moments right. in that game. Uh, Sean Jones hit a couple mid-ranges, and I think, wasn't it Jones who got a steal and then an outlet to, to Chase Ross, who had a big dunk yep. in the second half? Yep, and, uh, and he also, there, and, and Sean Jones had the, the kind of the fadeaway leaner at the uh, the end of the first half to, to close it to four, which, like, I know it's two points, but those felt like a pretty large two points at that point in the game. Yeah, yeah, because like Connecticut had a big run there in the first half where you, there was maybe a little trepidation that, well, we're going to get run out of our own gym here. But they just kept hacking away, kept hacking away. Then when you got it to four at halftime, it's like, well, this is manageable. Right. They're, they're right in it. And it was just another it was just another effort that seems like we've talked about this in a lot of games this year. Even though it may not have been a perfect half by any stretch, it's just a matter of just – keep chipping away and keep hacking away and this team regroups and is always in every game even though they may not win every game you always felt like even after Connecticut had that big run like they're gonna punch back they're gonna get off the mat they're gonna get back at them and they did uh it's just another example of why I 
want to continue to be optimistic about this team is that they don't fold. Like they don't even when when they're giving up a 10-0 run or something like that, they don't slouch on defense or uh, you know hang their heads going back to the huddle during a timeout. They're they keep their heads up, they regroup, they holler at each other in the huddle if they have to, but you're always going to be entertained and impressed with their effort. And that's, I guess that's really what sticks out to me from the week as a whole is how entertaining and fun this team uh, is to watch. Yeah, I, I would agree. Well, just real quick on the, the, the Kolek block. If Vegas had odds on Tyler to dunk or Tyler to block somebody, which, which one like would have been favored? Because I, I, for some reason, I feel like a Tyler dunk was much more likely than a Tyler swat. Well, I, I, I probably would have gone block because now I wouldn't have gone a block at the rim like that. I would have maybe thought, you know, like he gets a, a hand in a guy's yeah. face on the perimeter and get get yeah gets his finger on it and you know, gets a block like that. But uh, I would have never thought he could get a block at the rim like that. Like it wasn't really a chase down block. It was more of just a. Uh, just kind of flying out of nowhere and just totally altering the momentum of that play. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if we'll see Tyler get a dunk in a game. Uh, he's got to get like clear breakaway. I'm sure he can dunk, you know, if you give him room, but he would just need so much space to do it. Like, and I, I don't think Tyler would shock us like Derek Wilson did a few years ago when he just out of nowhere up and oh my uh, god, dunked yeah, on, where he put, uh, like, almost put his elbow through the rim. Had no idea he had that ability. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Paul White was the Georgetown player that he dunked on, but yeah, I I, I would I would have bet on a Tyler Block, but not the kind of block that we saw in that game. Yeah, yeah. So it was, but it was uh, again, it was a solid game, and then I think I think one of the other takeaways, you know, like you said, effort and they're they're fun. I I think that that this game was a little more and and a lot of the games were starting to see it develop where there was a lot of kind of ice in their veins right like calling out Oso, he went five for five from the line the season he had been hitting uh 42 43 percent from the line and he hit four in an extremely pressure-filled day i mean he even got iced at one point um you know with with yukon calling a timeout with him going to the line with with a, a, I think it was a four-point lead at that point. Maybe maybe it was a three-point lead. But whatever it was, the free throws made, meant the difference between Marquette continuing to be able to defend without too much of a risk of blowing the lead versus, you know, being in a one-possession game. And, and I, you know, I don't know that that's, that kind of ice water is something we would have seen at the beginning of the season. So this this team is continuing to mature. And I, and I don't care how many losses UConn has now. I know they just got blown out in their own gym by St. John's of all people. So not great for them. But um, UConn is a good team. And and to get that I win, think they're still six in Ken Palm. They're, yeah. I mean, they're way up there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, UConn is a good team. I know people might dismiss that that win now that, that UConn is kind of imploding a little bit. But... I think you got to look in the game, what they were facing, what they were playing. I think it it was a um, it was a very good win, and it was a very satisfying win. Yeah, a great crowd on hand too. Seems like it was a loud arena, great environment to be in. I want to give a quick shout out from a, a guy on Twitter who oh, gave yes. us a shout out, uh, Jeffrey Barbo. I hope I'm saying his last name right. I'm used to living in Louisiana, where they, you know it's like. Barbo, but uh, Jeffrey Barbo, who said optimism for the good folks at Crack Sidewalks, got to me here a few, multiple times on the podcast that fans in Northern Illinois should seriously consider t- attending tonight's talking about Marquette UConn game. So I went and bought tickets. So basically, what I'm saying is, shouts to Jeff for making the drive, and anyone else who had not been to a game yet this season and decided to get onto that UConn game. Uh, hope you had a good time. Just speaks to. Uh, Ex- excitement growing and getting more fans into the arena and you know phil we don't even charge you commission so shouts to the marquette ticket office you're welcome yeah uh, yeah yeah well uh get we'll more do, people in the building yeah we'll do we'll do that favor every anytime and hey jeff uh you might want to talk to your banker and your significant other because there's a lot of exciting games coming up on the schedule and you might want to come back for some of them so you know yeah get make sure you're changed and you know come on back <laughs> 
and I would say that about this coming week's game against Providence. Before we get to that one, though, uh, we do want to talk about the, the Xavier game, which, while a loss, uh, still a, an outstanding effort. And, you know, we went into this one, Phil, knowing, it's, as far as the Ken Palm ratings, very similar teams, right? Marquette and Xavier. Both top 10 on offense, both 75-plus on defense. Uh, and we kind of felt it would be uh, a high-scoring game and over. It was certainly trending that way in the first half. And then, for whatever reason, some uh, shots stopped falling there in the second. And the pace slowed a little bit. Uh, I had a friend in Las Vegas, and I said, I don't have a feel for the, the line, but just take the over. And he felt great about the over. Uh, and then it just it didn't happen. But um, we kind of got what we – it was uh, – from two evenly matched teams, both similarly rated as far as overall on Ken Palm as well, and like the spread depending on home court, that that's pretty much all it is. It's uh, they would probably be evenly matched on Ken Palm, uh, be a 50-50 game on a neutral floor if they were to meet in New York City at the uh, Big East tournament. But it's like three points if Xavier's at home for them, and three points for Marquette at home if it's in Milwaukee. But it was just a really fun college basketball game to watch because it, the teams were um, just trading punch for punch all day, really. And you know, I, I thought Marquette would be able to pull it out. Uh, couple plays didn't go their way towards the end, but I, despite the loss, I really was highly entertained by the game on Sunday against Xavier. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, one takeaway, again, Xavier is really good. They very well may end up being the the, the, the top team in the Big East, right? And, um, you know, and, and I think the other thing to take away, again, circling back to the, to the fight in this team, if you had told me Oso Iguodaro would go out in the first half with two fouls and play, you know, essentially 10 minutes in the first half, I would, I would ask, well, are we down double digits or not? And, and the fact that we went into halftime with a lead is, is kind of remarkable. Now, obviously we, you know, it was an eight point swing and, and lost by four, but, but that was a back and forth affair. And, and, and there were some looks late. I went back and, and, and in this case, cause the team's fun, it wasn't really torture, but I went back and I watched the last eight minutes of the game a couple of different times just to see, you know, what was going on. And there were some, you know, Marquette was still creating good looks. Um, you know, the one, the most notable one, it was Marquette was down 68-66 with, you know, 402-403 left. And David Joplin got a uh, got a three-point shot from from the wing that hit the hit the back of the iron and kicked out. And, and um, you know, I think... If that shot goes down or, or something similar to that, I think, um, you know, Marquette's got a shot there. And, and both teams kind of went cold late in the second, the second half. But it was a, it was a great game. And, and I think Marquette, other than winning the game, did everything you could ask of them. Yeah, I think uh, part of the thing is like missing Oso in the first half. You got some good minutes from Ben Gold and some really good minutes from Joplin. Yeah, um, kind of held his own play in the five there for a while. Um, really kind of like out of his element a little bit, I think, playing defensively, uh, playing the five. But uh, he did well enough that you were in it, even though, you know, you're, you you were matched up against some pretty tough players there in Nunji and uh, Fremantle. Fremantle had foul trouble too, but still, I thought you got some good minutes from Joplin there, even though, you know, he may not, you may not see it as far as uh, his shooting or points totals in those minutes, but I thought he gave you some, some good effort there. And then, you know, obviously the most glaring thing offensively was what you got from Tyler Kolick, uh, which you kind of alluded to earlier, Uh, just driving to the basket with ease for a while, for a while there, I was wondering if Xavier knew he was left-handed the way they kept allowing him to go left and just drive to the basket. He just did it so effortlessly and so fearlessly. I think, I think Xavier was surprised like over and over. He's like, is this little dude really going to go all the way to the rack? He's not going to go all the way in, is he? And he did. He just kept going over and over again, just confidently and fearlessly and ended with 25 points, uh, Nine two-point field goals, nine of eleven from the floor uh, for two-point field goals, uh, just really outstanding. And I'll tell you, a bit, uh, Tyler is certainly making a case to be a first-team All Big East player right now, and uh, he is like I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are many point guards who are more highly valued as far, especially as far as NBA draft picks are concerned. But man, 
I don't know how many I would trade for Tyler Kolick because I just love having that dude on my team. Oh, I you you love the attitude, you love the ferocity, and and again, um, he contributes in all sorts of different ways, right? He gets he gets rebounds. He he you know obviously he's a, a tremendous assister assister and passer, um, but he just he generates so much interesting back basketball. It, it's almost one of those where you you kind of want to see how his brain works because he is just. You know, he sees things that that I I don't know that most players at the speed at which they're playing would see, and you know I think it's a remarkable change since last year. I mean, how many times did we complain about Tyler basically getting to the rim and passing away because he didn't want to take the shot, and then Xavier you know was like, all right, well let's just let Tyler Kolek beat us, and he was like, okay, problem, no no problem, man. I'll go to the rack, I'll get the buckets, and. Uh, We'll go back and defend on the other end, and and you know obviously Xavier had to change their strategy in the second half, but um, he has just been a, a development wonder, I think, under Shaka. I, I mean, he's had the tools since day one at Marquette, but to see kind of the full evolution of of what his game looks like uh, is is pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, and. You know, he does t- technically have two years of eligibility left after this. Uh, he will. I mean, he'll be technically a senior next year, and then we'll see if he wants to use his COVID year for a fifth year. But, man, to, to, to think it of, of how many assists and how many big games he has ahead of him in a Marquette uniform is very exciting to potentially think about. And But let's not get past this year, because I think he could still have some great moments ahead this season. But he... Uh, I mean, he's the engine that makes the offense go, and I, I the he still brings that... the thing I love is he still brings that same energy on the defensive end too. Now, I don't know if anybody's going to call him an elite defender, but I also don't think anybody would call him a bad defender. Right. I, he, I, he gives great effort, he gives great effort, great attitude. He's very aware, uh, good communicator, and I, I just don't know how much more you can ask out of your point guard than what Tyler Collett gives you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's 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 a, probably a bit premature for this, and they're, and they're two very different players. But, I mean, Tyler Kolick is, is the best Marquette point guard since at least Dominique James. I'm not saying he's better or worse than Dominique James. I don't think we know enough yet. But he's at least, like, those two players can be, can be talked about together. Yeah, yeah, very different players. It's hard to com- really compare them because, as far as what they brought. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely the best Yeah, uh, point guard. Because Marcus Howard was a shooting guard, right? So, uh, but yeah, he's he's probably the best point guard, especially as far as just just as a distributor, just a guy who just makes everyone else around him better that Marquette has had probably in in quite a while. Um, yeah, yeah, just love watching him play, and and when when he's out there, you got to feel confident that like he can find a way to generate some offenses that, you know, when you need a bucket, he may not be the guy who gets the bucket necessarily. He was quite a few times against Xavier, but if he can't get to the rack himself, he has the awareness and the vision and the creativity in the paint to just kind of create some chaos and either take it himself or lob it up to Oso or find a shooter somewhere on the perimeter. He's just uh, got great instincts and leadership and, like I said, anything you'd want at a point guard, he has it. And I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of this season and beyond that for the uh, for the Golden Eagles. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I mean, that was one of the positives out of the, the Xavier game. And, and again, I think the, you know, Xavier's a very good offense and the defense held their own. And, and you know, so I think there's, again, in a loss, I think there's a, there's a fair number of, of positive takeaways to, to, to have. And, you know, and... I don't know. It felt, you know, it's another, you know, high, highly touted opponent that Marquette managed to lose to by less than five points. That feels one good and two sustainable. Yeah, they still really have not had a game this year where they've just gotten their doors blown off, where like halfway through the second half, you're just kind of done with it. And it's like, look, it's not happening today. Right. You know? They they just they have not had a game like that. They they 
even if they don't win, they always make you want to keep watching. Say, well, let's see if they pull this out. And they've had leads late in all, pretty much every game, I think. Yeah. Uh, in, in even the games they've lost. So he's uh, so they are incredibly entertaining. They are in every game, and they will have a chance to win pretty much every game. And now, will they win every game? Of course not. But the fact that they give you that kind of effort and, again, to bust out the cliches, but they just do not quit in any game they're playing. Makes it, it gives you hope that you just want to keep watching and see how far they can take this thing this this year. And, uh, but yeah, it, good effort and loss. No one likes to talk moral victories, but uh, very satisfied with what they brought to the table in Cincinnati on Sunday. Yeah. So would you? I guess you know we've talked in the past about you know still having the. Uh, the Wojo hangover or, you know, we we're worried about a, um, you know, a February, March swoon or, or something like that. But I, I guess the question to ask you are, have you started, you know, we talked about it with the Connecticut game, right? Connecticut went up 11 or 12 um, points in that game. Do you, do you start to like get over the, or, or do you still have that trepidation? Oh, here we go. Here's, here's where, you know, Marquette's gonna, you know, gonna boot it, or they're gonna let this game get out of control. Or have you kind of gone to the other way where I am? Is like, okay, they're, they, you know, let's see how this works out. They'll, they'll probably close this lead. You know, they'll close, close, close this down, or, or, or at least get close, or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair question. You know, I think the, the, the running bit on our podcast is you are the optimistic one, and I am the pessimistic one. But True. the. Uh, I think you have to separate the past from the current team a little bit. Now, I know we all have scars from not just last year, but like the last five or six years because Marquette has faded down the stretch quite a bit uh, going back to, uh, say, the nineteen, the 18-19 season. But um, that those teams don't have really, especially those Wojo teams, don't have anything to do with this team. And yeah, right. what happened last year happened, but it wasn't like dramatic and it's just kind of a bitter ending to the North Carolina game. But um, no, I, 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 I don't watch games now with a sense of impending doom. I really don't. Like I, I like I ever I watch every game excited to watch them play, and I'm always optimistic that they're going to win. I really am, um, and, and like. You know, something, uh, you know, I, I enjoy Scott Van Pelt a lot on ESPN and something he said on his podcast back in the fall, because, you know, his his co-host on the pod is uh, Stanford Steve, who's a big Mets fan. And he, like, during the baseball pennant races, uh, Stanford Steve was always like, the doom is coming, the end is coming. And while he was correct in that regard, as far as the New York Mets are concerned, um, one thing Van Pelt always said was, optimism and pessimism, they both cost the same. So why not just be optimistic and hope for the best? And then if when the end comes, you'll deal with the end. But if you're pessimistic the whole time, then you live it twice. You are miserable during the good times, and you're also miserable when it ends. Why not enjoy the good times? And then when it ends, you can be miserable about how it ended. Right. So I, that, that, that kind of struck a chord with me. I'm like, he is right. Being optimistic and pessimistic does cost the same. And so as that really relates back to this current Marquette team, yes, there have been failures that have been frustrating in recent years. But don't put that on this team. Let's just enjoy this team for what it is and how well they're playing. And when the end comes, the end will come. And we can judge that whenever it happens and however it happens. But right now, I am truly just enjoying the ride with this team. They are fun. They give great effort. And from what they have shown us since really the first game this season all the way till now, they have not given me a reason to believe this team is going to collapse and spectacularly fail. Could it happen? Sure, of course. And if it does, we will break it down accordingly. But I just don't have a reason to think that like a really bitter, sour ending is coming. Yes, like if you want to like really dive in and say, okay, well, their defense isn't that great. And it's not. And so may, and their offensive rebounding is, or their, you know, their rebounding is not good. They give a lot, of, a, a lot of offensive rebounds. Sure. That could be a reason they have some tough losses or maybe when their final loss of the season comes, that could be a reason. Sure. And if you want to focus on those things, just so the ending doesn't hurt as much when it comes, I suppose that's a choice you can make. But I think I am just trying to enjoy 
every win they are giving us week in and week out, and it's just very fun to watch. Like, I enjoyed the hell out of the UConn win. I enjoyed the hell out of the Xavier loss. I enjoyed the hell out of the Villanova win. I am enjoying every win they're getting. And so, to answer your question, Phil, no, I, I do not, like, when they give up a 10-0 run in a game, do I, I'm not like, oh, well, here they go. Choke City begins now. No, it's just like, well, that sucked. Let's try to bounce back. Right. You know, like, Right. Let's keep fighting. So I, that that's kind of where I'm at with this team. Is let's just be optimistic, and we'll deal with the bad stuff when the bad stuff happens. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you're spot on in terms of like don't put any any of the demons of the past on this team. Maybe they'll face those demons, right? But you know, we don't have any evidence that they will yet. I mean, the last truly like struggling game and it was in a double digit win right like the last time we saw them look not solid was was probably what the Chicago State game when when we made the argument that they were you know had obviously gone into Baylor prep uh at the beginning right that was right. The, that, that was the last game where they're like truly you know just not in it yeah you know there was four or five minutes in the first half of that UConn game where Obviously, UConn stretched that that lead out to eleven or twelve or whatever, and we, you know, they were down thirteen at Wisconsin, etc. But but it was never so big that you felt they were out of it. You never saw their heads down. You never saw the energy flagging. So I think you have to assume that to be the norm, right? And just to, you know, I know you kind of if if people want to be pessimistic that way, you're you're not you're whatever reason you're not as hurt when when it actually happens right i i get the psychology of it but i it is really fun and really enjoyable to think good things are going to happen with this team and then watch when they do like that's that's for me yeah. is, is the joy of of marquette basketball I, I haven't experienced this in a while and and maybe i'm overly giddy about it but i'm, I'm just loving the hell out of watching this this team play yeah and like couple things one like to truly exercise the demons as you call them they can't do that until March right like, no matter how many games they win between now and then uh, like if they end up like if they w- win out and like get a two seed let's talk crazy for let's say they win out and get a two seed but if they lose to a 15 seed the demons are still there right, right? Uh, so like y- you need you need a tournament win to to say like all the demons are gone. But although I suppose if they truly if they won a Big East championship uh, in the regular season, like that would exercise some demons no matter what happened in the tournament in my mind. But yeah, have um, to. so that's the thing. Like so, like all the demons can't be exercised until it's all over. But the, the like. The other thing I will say is uh, is I kind of lost my train of thought on that last one, but um, I, I, that's the first thing I just wanted to say is that you, you they can't exercise the demons until March. The other thing I wanted to say now I remember where I was going with it. Uh, some may say because I remember I during the late Wojo years I definitely went back and forth with a lot of people on Twitter about move on or don't right and and like I was always let's move on let's this needs to end and there were so many who were just like why can't you be positive why can't you just believe in this team why can't you support the team like those teams did not give me a reason for optimism like they were painful to watch and like watching the team had become a chore over the years and so like there was no like that was what I call blind optimism like you're being hopeful with no reason for being hopeful with this team, you can be hopeful because there are reasons to be hopeful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you're you're looking at and and like you said, there are, are reasons for concern or reasons that could result in some Marquette losses. But I mean, come on, we have the number two per Ken Palm, we have the number two offense in the country. Like, you know, that doesn't happen accidentally, or that doesn't happen in some weird statistical fluke, right? This team is... And it's not, yeah, it's not a small sample size at this point. Right, right. And and so this team is is built with, with a fun and aggressive style of basketball, especially on the offensive end and quite frankly on the defensive end, right? This team is where they are defensively because they generate turnovers and it's about the deflections, jumping into passing lanes, right? You don't have to worry about preventing offensive rebounds if you don't let them take a shot. 
Um, you know, so they, they are, are playing to their strengths in a style on their all their own. And, I, and I, I, we're seeing it pay off. I mean, on Kempom, they're still projected, even, even with the loss against Xavier, they're still projected to go 14 and 6 in conference, which I think is, if not the top record in the conference, it's going to be probably number two if, if that's the way it works out. Especially with, with I think they're projected to finish second. Yeah, projected to finish second behind Xavier at the moment. And going game by game, there are only two games remaining where Marquette is an underdog, according to Ken Palm. And without even looking, Phil, I bet you could tell which two games those are. Yeah, it's it's going to be UConn and Creighton, right on the road. Yep, both road games, Connecticut and Creighton. Every other game, Marquette will be favored by at least two points. Um, uh, this uh, upcoming game against Saturday against Seton Hall is their smallest margin of uh, and it, you know, being favored, I should say. So yeah, I'll, like, but that's get too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah, the, like the some of the toughest games are behind Marquette, right? Mm-hmm. As far as they've had one game against Connecticut, they've had their road game against Villanova. Although, ooh, might be selling my Villanova stock right now. I would, I would uh, light it on fire, quite frankly. Yeah, it may be a Fortune 500 company, but uh, they are uh, in a bit of disarray at the moment. But, I mean, they've already played Creighton once, won that one. They played Connecticut once, won that one. Again, they've run, won at Nova. Uh, so they've already had their road game at Xavier. A loss, handed, granted, but they've already had that game. So turning the page to the schedule ahead, Phil, uh, this Wednesday game against Providence I think is one that Every Marquette fan, and I would bet every player in that locker room, has been looking forward to since the last Providence game ended. A double overtime defeat at the building formerly known as the Dunk. And, again, I don't like to complain about officiating too much, but mercy, that was a brutal whistle in that game. Yep. A free throw disparity of 30 attempts, even though Marquette was going to the paint as much as Providence was, perhaps more so. Granted, Marquette made some mistakes in that regulation in that game that were reasons why they lost, but that whistle was so brutal. Uh, you would love to see it turned around. I don't even want a favorite, like a big favoritism in the whistle. I just want an even whistle this time. And like the Ken Palm projections reflect that Marquette's actually a five point favorite at home against Providence. And, like, I hate to start with the officiating, Phil, but it just jumps out to me when you're talking about a rematch against Providence. I mean, just if it evens out a little bit, you figure Marquette, uh, you could understand them being a five-point favorite. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, that was also a game, even with that disparity, that was a game where I, I'd have to go back and look. But I, I want to say Marquette had the lead with, what, uh, like a nine-point lead with five or six minutes left? Um, you know, so they were on the way to, to winning that game, um, even even pretty late in that game, even with that free-throw disparity. So um, <clears throat> playing it at home, um, theoretically an even whistle, you know, I, I, I still I cannot explain – how how unbalanced and remarkable that was again not even saying like hey this officiating is rigged just like i i just how how unbalanced and and that that all was is is remarkable and and it's hard to take to look at that and go man that 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 won't happen again so marquette is clearly better because like i honestly feel like marquette is a should be an eight or nine point favorite, not a not even a five point favorite. But you know, because there's no way that brutal whistle happens again. Yeah, and 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 again, like sometimes teams complain about the difference in free throws, and like they don't look at the way the game is being played. Because if you got one team that's going to the paint all night and another team that's shooting three pointers all night, well, obviously that team that's in the paint all night should be going to the line a lot more. But Marquette just had as many points or free throw attempt or field goal attempts in the paint, maybe even more so than uh, Providence did in that game. And it just didn't make sense. How it could be that different? And like, as the game went along, Bryce Hopkins, who was an excellent player, no disrespect to him. He may be one of the leading candidates, if not the leading kid for Big East player of the year. Uh, but he got to the point of the game where he, he knew every time he drove to the basket, he was going to get a foul. And yeah. he did. Yep. So, 
I mean, kudos to him for recognizing the trend and officiating and taking advantage of it and helping his team win. But it's just maddening when the other team recognizes the trend they're getting and says, all right, well, we're going to get to the free throw line every single time. Let's just go. And that's what they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, Marquette shot, you know, it's not a perfect corollary, but it's pretty strong because, as we talked about, Marquette does not shoot mid-range shots. Marquette shot 54 two-point baskets at in the Providence game. Providence shot 42. So so like basically ever just about every one of Providence two-point baskets somehow resulted in a fa- in a free throw. Like if they shot 49 free throws and attempted 42 uh two-point shots, that that's, you know, it's almost a one-to-one ratio of a free throw per per shot attempted. That's insane. That's just that's just nuts. It it was it was a tough watch, man. It really was. But um, as far as the matchup is concerned beyond officiating, uh, yeah, Providence a little bit better defensively than Marquette and a few steps behind them offensively as far as the Ken Palm ratings go. But it, And they're, they're also an excellent offensive rebounding team. A lot of that uh, st- starts with Hopkins, but uh, Ed Croswell is also – he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country, actually, fifth – in the nation per Ken Palm. So the offensive rebounds are going to be an issue uh, again in this game. But t- to me, it's you, you just got to figure out something with Hopkins. And it may be as simple as maybe he doesn't go to the line as much. But um, I think that'll probably be a challenge for Omax again. And, like, they had a tough time. And, you know, Joplin will probably have to guard him sometimes as well. And, you know, they obviously had a tough time with him last time. Forget the free throws. Hopkins was tough, man. He, he, he yeah. was just He was a five-star prospect. I cannot figure out why he did not work out of Kentucky because uh, he probably should still be there and he could probably really help that team right now. For sure. But um, he, 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 well, he may not have been a five-star, but he was close. Bottom line, he was good enough to go to Kentucky. That's the bottom line. He was an excellent prospect out of Illinois. And he, uh, Providence is, did very well to bring him in and, he, he may be playing his way into the draft the way he's done this year. So uh, any thoughts on what to do with Hopkins or any other ways to maybe affect the outcome in a positive way from the last outing? Well, I, I'd like to see less zone, honestly. Like, I understand why they did that. Some of it was to try and reduce the either fouls committed or, or, or you know, fouls drawn or, or what have you. Um, but we just don't rebound well out of it, and and you're really hoping that that Providence missed some shots. I think they're going to have to go a little bit more high pressure. Um, you know, you're you're playing at home. You've got the crowd. Um, play some pressure defense, right? Like turn them over, um, deny you know him the ball. That's that's going to be the key because I do think if he gets the ball, even in the high post, I, I think he's going to the basket. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't think David Joplin can hold up against him consistently. Omax probably, you know, he has the length, but I don't know that he's got the size to to keep up with him. So, you know, and I'd really hate to double him, but, you know, it's, it's going to either be a high-pressure defense or a high-pressure, you know, full-court defense, or they're going to have to do some sort of doubling to try and try and keep him from scoring because that that's going to be the key to the game, I think. Yeah, Providence does not force a lot of turnovers. Uh, they uh, they're in the two hundreds on Kempom as, as far as forcing turnovers. Near the bottom as far as a uh, non-steal turnover percentage. Um, they so Marquette's offense should be able to operate for the most part the way it hopes to in this game. And if if that's the case, I, I like their chances to get this one at home. Like I said, I think they they owe Providence one. I think the magic of Providence being in first place is gone after Creighton kind of handled them on Saturday. Uh, so maybe you can kind of catch them reeling a little bit because uh, this will be back-to-back road games for them. Probably, yeah, this is the toughest stretch in the Big East they have had so far. Their only road games so far, they've gone at Seton Hall, at Butler, at DePaul. So they basically played some of the, a lot of the bottom tier teams on the road. So this is kind of a step up in competition for them. They have played Connecticut at home. They beat them, of course, because they're six and one. But uh, at Creighton, they lost by six on Saturday, and then back to back. Now they're coming to Milwaukee. So I think Marquette owes them one. Phil, I, I really like the chances for Marquette to get the W on Wednesday night. Hopefully, another raucous crowd. Uh, I assume the students are back this week yes, as well. Yes, the so students are back, and it is real, a real, special event. 
Yeah, they're honoring the 2003 team. Uh, before, maybe we'll just touch on that real quick before we move on to the last game of the week, Seton Hall. Uh, obviously, you and I, Phil, the, the 2003 team is close to our hearts because we were on campus at the time. Correct. Right? But, you know, the 2003 team is special to all Marquette fans, anyone who was a Marquette fan at that time, because, I mean, Marquette as a school has only been to the Final Four three times in its history. Uh, two of those, of course, were under Al McGuire, one of being the national championship team, of course, and then uh, then they didn't go again until 2003, and uh, apparently the entire team is going to be there, including Coach Tom Crean, and I don't know where you want to start as far as memories from that team, Phil, but it was just an incredible ride considering when – we got there as freshmen. Marquette was one of the more unathletic teams in the country. That was the first year of Tom Crean. They had just fired Mike Dean. Crean took over. Uh, the team was just a you know an NIT level team for a couple years there. So like at that when we first got to Marquette, it was never even in the stratosphere for me because like I wasn't a Marquette fan at all until I enrolled at the school. So it's not like I had been following the team for years or anything. Uh, I was just like, well, I'm here at Marquette University. I'm here to study broadcasting, and maybe I'll have, some, I'll have fun at some basketball games here and there. I don't know if we'll be any good. So it was just never even a thought that we could be a team that could go to a Final Four. And then this guy named Dwayne Wade shows up our junior year in 2001-2002, make the tournament, have that heartbreaking loss to Tulsa in the first round, but then they bring back pretty much everyone the next year. Um, they graduated a couple guys from that 0-2 team. Cordell Henry was a really good point guard from 0-2, but uh, then they brought back so many other key pieces. Robert Jackson was a transfer who became eligible that year. And it was just like a perfectly constructed squad as far as uh, – Great guards, great front court players, versatility, how they all work together. And it was just an incredible ride to see a team that was just really a total afterthought in college basketball three years prior go all the way to the Final Four. Well, and, and I think that the, you touched on it a little bit, but the thing that was crazy was, I mean, the team was good in, in a 102, right? And and you mentioned that the, the Tulsa uh, heartbreak where you, we were in the arena for, for that one. And that was tough. And and like you said, they returned most, but that that team all I and I think people forget this uh in 03 was that team was dominant throughout that series. I mean, Cincinnati, I think either the year before or, or 03, I don't remember which one it was, but Cincinnati well the year before was uh uh Kenyon Martin. But you know, Cincinnati was kind of Kenyon Martin was our freshman oh, year. Oh, was Ken, that freshman yeah, year? Yeah. Kenyon Martin was yeah, Kenny Martin was 99-2000 because he was the number one pick in the 2000 draft. Because that was the year he broke his leg. That was Bob Huggins' best chance to get a tournament. But it was uh, in 0102, um, like up until that time, ever since Conference USA had been a thing, Cincinnati had won it every year, including 0102. Uh, like that was the they traded blows. Like Marquette beat Cincinnati in Milwaukee, then. Cincinnati won at Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati won the rubber match, the Conference USA tournament. That was the Steve Logan team. Yeah. Uh, Steve Logan and Donald Little was like their big guy. Um, but then, yeah, then some of those guys left, including Steve Logan. And then we kind of felt like going into 0203 is like this is the this is the year somebody finally takes down Cincinnati because Huggins Cincinnati squads had won Conference USA every year up until that point. Right, and and that team was was a wire to wire team, right? And I mean, even again, memory lane, John Calipari's Memphis team was in that conference fighting fighting for uh, uh, the Conference USA title, and and Marquette won it. Again, on the strength of certainly Dwayne Wade, but but that was a balanced team. Robert Jackson was a huge acquisition for for that team. Like you know, I know it's much more common now to to kind of the the portal and the transfers and all that. But like that was that was an instant success that was not you know somewhat unexpected, right? So that team kind of turning into that yeah. that Bahamut that it that it was 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 a little bit crazy. Yeah, and, and Crean really built that team with some patience, right? Because right. He, he brought in Wade, who was not academically eligible his freshman year. Right. Uh, and like, that's why Wade was lightly recruited, is because most teams didn't want to wait on him uh, to get his to, to get academically eligible the next year. So uh, Wade sat out the 2000-2001 the season 
But Crean was willing to wait, like, like, well, this is my second year at Marquette. I'm not going to get fired after two years. Uh, so I'm going to have him for my third year. Uh, he's going to be worth the wait. And then, like you said, the, we didn't have the instant access transfer portal or, like, applying for waivers really wasn't even a thing either. Uh, like, it was just like, if you transferred, you would wait a year. That's the way you understood it. And Crean was willing to wait on Robert Jackson. And so he sat, he was on the team, but not eligible to play in that 0102 team that lost as a five seed to Tulsa. But then he was eligible the next year. And then you had that squad because Scott Merritt was, uh, you know, he was playing the five the previous year, but that allowed Scott Merritt to move out to the four, which is like, that was his best season at Marquette because Scott Merritt was a six ten guy who could dribble a little bit. And like, he can't dribble like maybe some of the six ten guys you see today, 20 years later. Right. But like, it was, it was like to see it a six ten guy who could even dribble a little bit. It's like, yeah, he, He's pretty good out there. He actually had a little bit of a mid-range, and so with Jackson in the middle, uh, Scott Merritt was a tough cover there. So he was just a, a perfect player as a four that season. And then, of course, you had an All-American and future Hall of Famer and Dwayne Wade at the two. Travis Daner was your point guard. Todd Townsend was uh, a, a pretty good 3-and-D guy, right? He had good length. Uh, and then you had you had a great bench. Uh, Terry Sanders was a very good player off the bench as a forward. Steve Novak was a freshman on that team, was just an incredible shooter. Joe Chapman, who would go on to have a really good four-year career at Marquette, was uh, he was kind of to that team what Chase Ross is to this team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, he was, he was just – he was a freshman who – you knew it would have a big role later, but it wasn't his time yet. But he served his role as a defender, maybe coming to make a shot every like to to for the young guys who don't know who Joe Chapman was. He was just like what Chase Ross is for this team. They just it was just a a very well constructed team because uh, you had great the starters were great. The first guy off the bench in every position could give you a little bit of something, and you know they really didn't have any major injuries that year and. It just all came together, and I just remember because um, it was my senior year, and it was like, well, let's now or never, let's let's do it. So we went to the the first. Well, I think we had class because it was a Thursday game, so we went to the Saturday game because the first round game was against Holy Cross. Travis Diener had a great game to kind of bail. Yeah, him that out was an early. That was fourteen ups. Yeah. yeah, that was a the game they almost lost. Yeah, they almost lost that game uh, to Holy Cross, and then you uh, then I was at the next game. That was in Indianapolis when they went to overtime against Missouri. When they famous, I remember the thing I remember about that Missouri game. It went to overtime, and in overtime, Marquette did not miss a shot from the field or the free throw line, and in the entire game, the bench did not miss a shot. So everyone who came off the bench that game, including Novak, uh, I think Chapman, uh, Karon Bradley was on that team. I think he hit Todd, a shot. Todd, in that Town- game. Todd Townsend uh, so that hit they, a couple of shots in that in that overtime game. Yeah, he was a starter though. He was a yeah. starter. Like the bench did not miss a shot oh, yeah. in that game. But yeah, the Marquette as an entire team, the entire team did not miss a shot in overtime. It was a perfect overtime against Missouri. And then I went. We went to Minneapolis. Uh, that's where the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight were. Um, played Pitt. Very good pit team, defeated them, and then you got Kentucky, who was the number one seed, most people's pick to win the national championship that year. Uh, Keith Bogans was a little banged up in that game, but he did play on a bum angle, but it didn't matter. Marquette just blew them out of the water. And, and, and a Dwayne was, Wade triple-double. I, I think at that time it was only like the second or third triple-double in tournament history. Yeah. Um, there have been a few more since then, but it, it was a rare. I think at that time, the only other guys to do it were, uh, I want to say, uh, Andre Miller and, and uh, Shaq. Maybe Magic Johnson, too, had, had also done one, but there weren't very many. And, and, and for Wade to turn into triple double. And famously, Pat, uh, uh, Pat Riley, who was a Kentucky guy. He was in the arena that day, and I, I think that's when he made up his mind that he was taking Wade with the fifth pick. Right, right. Like, I'm, like when uh, when the heat are up, I'm I'm taking number three. <laughs> I, that's when he kind of decided. But uh, and like the most the 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 t- the the big moment of that game, of course, was the dunk on Marquis Estel when uh, you know. Diener had an outlet pass to up ahead to Wade because that was one of those games where Marquette was leading at the half and we're all just kind of like, is this really going to happen? Like, are we really going to beat Kentucky and go to the Final Four? Um, uh, and then, yeah, Diener had the outlet pass to Wade. Wade threw down on Estel. And then Raftery with the perfect call, <laughs> send it in, medium-sized fella. Yes. Uh, 
And uh, of course, I, I was in the arena. I didn't hear that until I got back to the back to campus later. Uh, but um, just an epic call from Raff and <laughs> Vern Lundquist. Uh, and then, then when when Wade threw that dunk down, that's when I, I think we all kind of knew. Even though there were probably like seven or eight minutes left in the game when that happened, I think we we called like this is happening. We're beating Kentucky. Like we got this, and the game was never really in doubt. It was just an all time great day to be a Marquette basketball fan. Yeah, it was. I mean, <clears throat> it could it could not have been um, like a better feeling, right? And I think, quite frankly, if you were a Marquette fan in that period, we've been we've been chasing that high ever since. Um, you know, with, yeah, we have, you know, and, and, and not even like the, the final four high, because it did, you know, it did end on a bit of a wah, wah, but, um, just <laughs> boy, did it ever. We don't need to talk <laughs> yeah, about the Kansas game. We're not, game. we're not, we don't need to that. talk about the Kansas game yeah, where I screamed at the nicest person in the world for like 15 minutes. Cause I was just so mad about the result of the game, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. And poor James. I, I would still like to apologize to James if he's out there listening. <laughs> I hope James is doing well wherever he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh but yeah, I mean we've been we've just been been chasing that high where it's like, hey, we're we're good. we are a good team. You know, because even like the buzz years, you know, we had some deep runs in the tournament, but some of that felt like voodoo and black magic, right? Like it was it was one of these like I have no idea how they're doing this. The, like the last team that I felt like that, you know, the 2003 team that I felt like that team was, was what was it? Oh, eight, oh, seven with when, when Dominic James broke his foot, you know, right, right before the oh, nine. start. Oh, nine. Yeah, that's right. That was oh, nine. You know, that, that was probably, and I'm getting, again, I don't want to call like Marquette is a final four team. That's not what I'm saying, but like, that that feeling of this team is good and can do good things. I get that in this year's right. team uh, that I got in 09 and 03, right? Like, it's like, hey, that, that high is coming back. I thought we had that in, you know, right before Hauser getting, um, you know, I, I thought maybe we were there, but um, that turned out to be a false high. Um, but that's, you yeah. know, that, that 2003 team was really like, Hey, we are a good team. We're good at basketball, and this is exciting. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point you make there. It's like the feeling we're chasing is that feeling of we are one of the best teams in college basketball. Yes, like like we realize we're not. We realize we're not Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and never will be. But we are like back in '03 we were legitimately in that next tier, right? Like right. not talking historically, but for that, that one season, it's like, okay, you can talk about your blue bloods, but after you talk about your blue bloods, talk about us. Cause we are right there. And we were like Marquette was right there, uh, right behind all the, the, like those perennial top five, top 10 teams. And they made a, a, a legitimate non fluky run to the final four, beating some very good teams along the way, beating an excellent pit team, beating a great Kentucky team. And, uh, they won a, a very good conference USA that year. Like, like conference USA at that time, like, yeah, you look at conference USA now and you laugh at it is like, it's a, I wouldn't even say it's like a second tier. I mean, it's like a mid major, like <laughs> I think mid majors, some mid majors look down on conference USA, but back then, you mentioned earlier, like you had John Calipari was in that league, Rick Patino, Bob Huggins, uh, Mike Anderson was coaching UAB at that time. Um, uh, Tom Crean, of course, who was at Marquette and he went on to coach Indiana. Uh, like that was a great coaches league, and there were some really good players coming out of Conference USA, and like it was behind all the power football conferences. And the the Big East at that time, like Conference USA was like right behind them. It was an excellent league, and winning that league was a pretty big deal because uh, because you know Cincinnati was a powerhouse under Huggins. They never won a title, but they were very close. Um, and, and to to take them down and beat them um, for a conference title was uh, memorable. That was the. I think that was the second time in our, our, our college experience we stormed the floor, yeah. Phil. Is like, the first time was when we up, when Marquette up Cincinnati in 2002 when Cincinnati was number two in the country, and that was like the first like 
big, big win for Tom Crean. That was like a, the statement win of like, all right, Marquette is emerging. But then the next year, uh, when Marquette, it was like the last game of the regular season, even though Cincinnati had no chance of winning it, they were out of it at that point. It was just kind of a formality of Marquette just needed to win the game and they, they would seal it. They, they, they took the gates down and let us storm the floors. Like, all right, this is our first conference title in a long time. Um, Actually, yeah, because Marquette was an independent forever. I think they may have won a conference title in the '80s or something. Yeah, but like in the Metro, th- that was the first. League, that I was think. the first one in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I mean, that was the first uh, first conference USA title because again, Cincinnati won it every year since its inception at that time. So, um, but yeah, that was just fun to like. It wasn't like a crazy court storming. It was just kind of like we just kind of like slowly kind of trickled onto the floor and celebrate. We are conference champions, and uh, let's let's make a run at this thing. And like, th- and that's exactly what they did. the The heartbreak from Tulsa the year before kind of, I think, fueled the guys who came back. It's like we're not going to let that happen again. Yeah, well, and, and I I have yeah. one of one of the things in my uh, in my office is the uh, the photo with Wade on the shoulders with the the American flag, and you know from that quote unquote storming. Yeah, it was just kind of like, a, hey, we're we're actually here. We're actually doing this. It was you know. Quite, quite the exciting season. So I'm glad, glad we're on. So that. yeah, I'm excited to see uh, whatever kind of content they have uh, for the O3 team on Wednesday. Gosh, we've been talking about this for a long time. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, we, uh, you and I could, we could talk on and on and on. We could almost like dig out the schedule and go game by game and kind of jog our memories as far as some of the games that happened that year. Um, but. It was an incredible run, an incredible team, great players. It was just fun to be around those guys on campus and just kind of give a shout-out if you would pass them on the way to class because it was uh, – campus hasn't really had anything like that since. I mean, they had the Elite Eight run, and that was really special, but uh, it's nothing like a Final Four run because yeah. when there are only four teams left and you're one of them, yeah, well, uh, well, it's, well, it's unforgettable. Well, so. One of these days, the uh, – the, the scrambled eggs fan base will have to, to get us a couple of beers, and we'll we'll share some uh, D- Dwayne Wade stories that are not for public consumption. Yeah, we, yeah, we may say yeah, we will yeah find us some beers. Maybe share some uh, yeah, the director's cut from some, some of our memories from our college experience, but. Uh, yeah, nothing but good memories. I'm glad everyone is going to be back, including Tom Crean, who I think I think most Marquette fans truly appreciate now. I, I would think. Yeah, I would. I, Always bitterness when a coach leaves, but I, I think most people are over it now. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I think that's the other reason I'm. I, I think that Providence win or that Marquette beats Providence is is that crowd will be electric, right? There will be enough people there. I know the current students. You know, this is you know they were in diapers or or whatever, but. Um, you know, uh, some of them weren't even born. Yes, if you want to correct. feel really old, yes, correct. But I, I think I think there are enough fans there that look back s- super fondly on that time. That that I think there will be a particularly high level of energy in that game. So I, I again, I think I think Marquette wins. Yeah, by, e- even know, the close to like, double digits. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And I, I'm agree. I think the, like even like the really young students who. Obviously, we're not born when that Final Four happened. They all know who Dwayne Wade is, right? right. Like, so they'll right. like even if they don't know any other player on that team, they they all know who Dwayne Wade is, and so they'll be buzzing because Dwayne Wade's in the building. So that'll be cool. All right, I feel like we've been we have been talking an incredibly long time, but uh, real quick on Seton Hall. That's the last game of the week. That's on Saturday. Um, hopefully, not a hangover game based on anything that happened in the Providence game, positive or negative. But it is a road game. Uh, Marquette's only a two-point favorite in that game, but I'm Phil, I, you know, I'm just hoping for the same script. Yeah, uh, I'll just say this: I, I hope it's the same script as the first time, Phil. You know, like we kind of called it on the pod the first time around. Seton Hall turns it over a lot, even though Marquette's defense is not great. Marquette can force turnovers. You do that again, I really don't think. I, I, I don't see a reason why Marquette can't get out of Newark with a W. Seton Hall, yes, they have enough talent to beat you if you play bad. Because they're, I mean, they're number 55 in Ken Palm. So while they're not a great team, they're clearly in the bottom half to me in the Big East. Uh, I think Marquette is quite a bit better. Um, and again, as long as it's not a hangover game, which could go one both ways, right? Like if you have a huge win, maybe you have a letdown, or maybe you have a heartbreaking loss and then you let it carry into the next game. If one of those two things happen, maybe Seton Hall could catch you napping. But other than that, 
if Marquette is dialed in like it has been almost pretty much really every game this year, they should be Seton Hall. And I'm really not sweating it, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, like, Marquette's weak link is defense other than turnovers. Seton Hall, bad at offense. So, you know, they're they're really not going to exploit that. And if you want to make the argument, oh, Seton Hall had a rough patch, but they're pulling it together. Look, they they beat Butler, Georgetown, and DePaul, all of whom are probably, at this point, the three worst teams in the Big East. So congratulations, you did the bare minimum. Um, so I, there's nothing about Seton Hall or the way they're playing or their, their lineups or anything that I don't want to go so far as to say they don't scare me at all because, you know, the Big East is the Big East and playing on the road, yeah. New Jersey the, sucks. The league has a way of humbling you, as I've said before. Correct. Stuff happens on the road. But so I, I would maybe walk back what I said a minute ago as far as I'm not sweating it. You always maybe sweat a little bit on the road. But if I had to bet it, I would bet Marquette. Yeah, I would feel confident that Marquette goes to Newark and gets a win against Seton Hall. Yeah, that you know, I, I think I would be more surprised that Marquette doesn't win by do- double digits, right? Like, I, I, I think you know, a two-point margin on Ken Palm. I know it's a road game, and you know, Marquette's had a tough series, probably the hardest part of its schedule um, here these these three games in Providence at Xavier and, and UConn. But Again, I don't see any reason that this team has a letdown or that Shaka doesn't let them, you know, or that Shaka lets them kind of ease off the gas or, or become disconnected or whatever. So, you know, again, I think that's that's a game they can go in and, and maybe they sweat a little bit. Maybe they have to come from behind. I don't know. But I think they get that win for sure. Yeah, I, I would I would certainly lay the two points if that's what it ends up being because that's the spread on Ken Palm. But uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as double digits, but I might be getting close there, Phil. I mean, maybe I, I could see five, six, seven point win at, over Seton Hall. I really if Marquette is as dialed in as it usually is because, like I said before, their defense may not be great, but the one thing they do pretty well plays into one of Seton Hall's biggest weaknesses, uh, and that's uh, forced turnover. So you get those deflections. Um, Get those kills, get those 32 deflections, take care of business. Offense executes as usual. W. So I'll say, I'm going to say a I'm going to say a six point win in Newark, and I'm going to say on Wednesday night, Marquette by a billion. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Marquette by eight on Wednesday, and Marquette by I'll say eleven on on Saturday against Seton Hall. All right, love it. Hope you pack uh, Pfizer form, everybody, and hope you enjoy the games Jeff, uh, this we'll week. Hopefully, there. two more right. wins, and then a. Yeah, we'll Jeff, Jeff shouts there. to you, buddy. Hope you make the trip again. Yeah, hope hopefully see Jeff and many of Jeff's friends. Um, and then we, uh, a little bye coming up after that because then there's no game the following week during the week, and then it's the dreaded dirty trip to DePaul. We'll talk about that next week. So I think we've been talking long enough, Phil. Should we kind of wrap this thing up? Yeah, I was going to say they may still be listening to this during the bye week if we keep going any longer. <laughs> in that case uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter I'm Joe McCann 3 Phil is M triple O F 23 at Crack Sidewalks is the team handle go to CrackSidewalks.com we post a podcast there you can leave comments on CrackSidewalks.com and always remember to rate review and subscribe Apple Podcasts and Spotify Phil you going to the game on Wednesday I'm I trust 100% and I got my 2003 gear to wear excellent that's right uh, that was from uh uh, was that from 1999? It was from 1999. Oddly enough, only you will care about this, but I found I have the 2003 uh, 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 Final Four T-shirt from 1999. I'm cleaning my basement so I can get it remodeled, and I found the original. I I I no have, way. Yes, I have it. But uh, yeah, I'll probably I'll probably rock something 2003. Uh, as I watch the game on Wednesday. Looking forward to that one. All right. Everyone enjoy the week. Phil, you're predicting 2-0. I'm predicting 2-0. Both predicting good wins. Everybody have a great week. Until next time, seashells and balloons, everyone.